Hello and welcome to Homebrew with me, Bex. And me, Ethan. And this is our new series of podcasts about how to get through life in the lockdown. And we're going to be talking to a whole range of people about art, books, film, TV, comics, crafting, anything that's currently helping people get through these weird times that we're living in at the moment. But today we're going to be focusing on video games with our special guest, Andrew James. Hi, Andrew. Hello there. How's it going? Strange. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So Andrew is brand manager for Life is Strange at Square Enix. That's right. Is it Enix or Enix? Enix. Enix. Well, I say Enix, but it's, uh, yeah, potato, potato. I think uh, with a lot of these uh, these names inherited from amazing Japanese companies, sometimes someone mispronounced them back in the 80s or 90s and we're stuck that way. So, yeah. <laughs> so to kick off, is life strange right now? Yes. Yes, life is very strange. Uh, currently in the third week of working from home and days, they're very packed. We're kind of doing as much work as we were in the office. Every morning is several lengthy Zoom calls, as I'm sure you're aware of. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those interesting things because so much of the games industry now is digitally driven. You know, the, you can pick up new releases at any point. We can put things on stores at any point. We're still actively developing and working on things all across the company, not just in, in the little bit that I'm dealing with. But yeah, it's, it's an odd, odd time, and we're all trying to um, find our way through it. Especially when you're working on something like uh, Life is Strange, as I do, where it's it's all kind of the world outside your window with a little bit of strange. And right now, the world outside our window is kind of unprecedentedly odd. Um, and it can be uh, strange even just pulling elements from the games to do fun social posts. You know, all of, all of our social posts suddenly have to be kind of like, hey, what are you doing now that you're stuck at home? Um, and, you know, Life is Strange 2 is all about a giant road trip across the USA <laughs> and they don't spend an awful lot of time cooped up. Um, so, yeah, it, things are odd, um, but we're getting through them. So I think one thing we've noticed uh, over the last few weeks is a lot of people finding themselves maybe with a bit more spare time and mm. certainly trying to find ways to find things to do to keep them occupied and you know gaming is one of the things which for a lot of people is a regular hobby uh so you know it's a real thing that people are tuned into all the time but a lot of people might be thinking about not not taking it up really seriously but sort of finding out what the fuss is all about and they're going to be non-gamers they're going to be casual gamers and be hardcore gamers but for somebody maybe who wants to find out a little bit more about what gaming might involve, especially things which might be free or available to anyone, where do you think people would start? Uh, I mean, a really good place if you've got either a PC or a Mac is to just uh, find Steam, download the app Steam, or go to store.steampowered.com, which is kind of the, the web version of it. And it's it's one of several stores now. There's also the Epic Game Store, which started up recently and is kind of a, uh, a major competitor to it now. Um, but Steam is it's pretty uh, mature as a platform now. You can uh, browse by keywords. So if there's something that you like in film, TV, comics, books, and you're interested to see whether there's a game out there that ticks those boxes, there probably is. Uh, so just type something into the search bar and see what pops up. Um, there's a lot of games uh, both on Steam and on, say, console platforms. Like, say, uh, one of your kids has a console or you've picked one up and you're looking for what um, might be out there. Lots of free trials out there, too. Um, uh, in, in fact, we just went live with Life is Strange 2's trial this week, so that's one of the things I've been working on in the back end. You can play like the first 30 to 45 minutes um, to get a taste for it. And there's a lot of those things out there where you can just download uh, the game, and then if you're enjoying it, 
pay for it and continue. And if not, you've had a, a great experience and you can kind of um, calibrate your tastes a little bit more. Um, Itch.io or Itch is also really good for kind of smaller games where you might want something with a bit more of an indie flavor, an old school flavor, a story driven game, a visual novel, something that you can try for free in a lot of cases. And they may be even bite size. So they may be like five minutes, 10 minutes, half an hour. Um, and you're, you're usually dealing with a development team that's maybe one person or three people or something like that. So you're really close to someone's creative vision. Um, and they've got a quite mature storefront as well, where you can browse titles and, and go through. So that's, that's quite fun to investigate. Um, but other than that, there's, there's quite a lot of um, major news sources out there that are really cool. I go to kind of rockpapershotgun.com and Eurogamer every day, um, Kotaku, uh, GamesRadar. Lots of those places are often doing roundups of kind of COVID gaming recommendations right now. So there'll be a lot of kind of top 10 lists, top 30 lists. I like this. I want to, uh, you know, I, I really want to get into one of those 200 hour Japanese role playing games I've never had the time for before. And they're like, great here's persona 5 um or that kind of thing you know there, there's a lot of um sites deliberately leaning into this content because a lot of the usual pr opportunities have gone away because a lot of them require people being in the same room as each other doing interviews and yes you can you can absolutely replicate a lot of that over zoom and skype and that kind of thing but obviously um it's a weird time for that kind of industry so a lot of people are falling back on that um it's a brand new audience come on board um so yeah there's lots of places to poke around that will that'll give you a an easy in to video games, even if you've never uh, tried them out before. So, what are you actually playing yourself at the moment? Um, so, I think uh, one of the things that uh, always cheers me up, and a game I've returned to and bought on multiple platforms, is Sayonara Wild Hearts, which I adore. It's basically a Scandi Pop breakup album in gaming form. <laughs> so, like, imagine a psychedelic churches album that you play through. Uh, and it's a bunch of um, essentially uh, lesbian biker gangs, and it just looks visually sumptuous. Every minute is throwing something completely different. It's kind of like an endless runner, so it's as easy to control. You can almost do it one-handed if you want. It's got that mobile feel to it. I think it originally stealth launched on the Apple Store as part of their new package that they're doing there. Um, but it's just wonderful. Like it's it's a full old album. The tracks are fantastic and standalone. Hit it up on Spotify. It's amazing. But just the experience of like living an album, uh, you're going through each of these three minute pop tracks. Uh, you know, you're fighting with giant swords. You're flipping between parallel universes. You're riding the back of a dragon. It's just astoundingly beautiful. And it's done in this kind of vaporwave 80s high contrast style, just packed with color. And the final track, the final level makes me cry every time. I've done it like five times, but it's just so great every time. So that's that's something where, again, if you love kind of pop music, if you love something experimental but really easy to pick up, that's on like every platform. I've done it on PS4. I've played it on Switch. I played it on airplanes on Switch, and it's just as good. Like, it's it's a really wonderful kind of entryway. And this, uh, it's quite accessible too. The, it, there is a couple of tough bits in it, but if you fail like twice in a row it'll be like hey do you want to skip this bit yep get onto it so even if you're not kind of like technically skilled with games it's something that's very welcoming and that will take you all the way through um so yeah that's that's a big recommend from me i also really really loved uh, uh river city girls which is again something i've picked up uh, so it's it's this weird semi-sequel to um the old beat-em-ups from the 80s on the nez river city ransom uh which inspired scott pilgrim and now River City Girls is inspired in its turn 
by Scott Pilgrim. So it's kind of this really beautiful 16-bit pixel art um, Scott Pilgrim two-player beat-em-up thing uh, where you play uh, the girlfriends that would be the rescued characters in any other game. This time they're going after their boyfriends who've been abducted, or so they believe. And it's fully voiced, and it's just delightful. Like, it's it's kind of, you know, it's two-button fun, and it's a little bit difficult in places, but it's just, it's really just accessible, fun, hilarious. Uh, yeah, I've got a lot of love for that one. Um, what else? Mutazione is something that I probably can't pronounce properly. <laughs> but it's um it it dropped towards the end of last year and it's kind of like a garden growing talk 'em up. Like it's set it's this side scrolling like a, a lot of games um will take the aesthetics of a platformer or a point and click adventure game and sort of smoosh them together into something that's a bit more driven by just having conversations with people, doing light puzzling. And this is one of those. Um so it's set on this meteorite struck island that's filled with mutants just living their lives. Um, and you go there as a young girl uh, to see her grandfather. Her grandfather's kind of falling ill, and you want to spend some time with him. Um, and it becomes basically as much about um, unearthing the personal dramas of all of these people on the island, the, the mutants who essentially, they're just average people. They just look like weird green potatoes in certain instances and things like that, or lithe cat people. Um, but the rest of the time, you find plants, you grow them, you bring areas of the island back into harmony, and that unlocks further conversations. And it's just really chilled is such a word that may be overused, but in times like these, it's very meditative. Um, it's a place you can escape to. It's very There's no fail states. There's no uh, sort of... Um, anxiety-inducing sections, but it's really compelling all the way through and funny too. So I highly recommend that. That's kind of it's like a three to four hour game, um, but a real place to get lost in. And it looks aesthetically quite a lot like um, Another World or Flashback, that almost sort of cartoony rotoscoped air to it. But yeah, beautiful, wonderful soundscapes as well. Um, another one that I love that may be a little too on the nose right now uh, is Unforeseen Incidents. Uh, now, so you play a guy called Harper Pendrell, and it's kind of a classic point-and-click adventure game. Um, fully voiced, sort of limited animation style. It looks like uh, um, Agent Arthur books from Osborne, uh, from way back in the 90s, those sort of Osborne puzzle adventures. It's got a twist of that. But it's all about a mysterious viral outbreak. So it might be a little... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a little too on the nose for right now but it's really great it's really great and that's got a wonderful soundtrack too um i i dived through that and really enjoyed it um something else that's probably cool if you've got a ps4 playstation 4 as kind of a you know a party game or a let's watch this instead of netflix there's a game called erica uh with a, a c rather than a k that's from flavorworks uh this new studio has sort of set up to experiment what they can do with full motion video um, so the, uh, the full motion video has kind of come back in a big way um, and this is one where it's played on the PS4 but you do actions on your phone so say you want to open the curtains you swipe to open the curtains on your phone with your fingertips or say you want to unwrap a, uh, a parcel you, you sort of pull on either end of the, the tape and those bits are all uh, beautifully stop motion animated which is really delightful but the rest of it is shot you know like a TV show uh, so it's this really uh complicated interesting mystery narrative i'm not sure it entirely works um but it's really fun to play and as a kind of demonstration of where the tech is at right now there's no um bandersnatch style waiting for 10 seconds for the choice to be made 
Um, there's no kind of uh, judder as a new scene loads in or something. It's just totally seamless. Um, so I, I found that was fascinating. I've, I've done kind of a couple of playthroughs um, just to sort of give it a go. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was really cool. Um, yeah, perhaps more ambitious than fulfilling, but I can't wait to see what they do next. I think that's that's a really interesting um, thing to look at. And if you like full motion video, um, her story is a fairly old game, uh, but Telling Lies is the kind of the follow up to it that just came out from the same studio this year. Uh, so her story is one where it's um, interrogation videos uh, of a woman that you search through uh, using text commands. And you have to essentially build out the story in your head. And I played it and filled kind of like 12 pages of A4 with tiny scrawling script trying to get to the bottom of this mystery and come up with keywords. Um, and it's it's one of those ones where the more you delve and the more keywords you find, the weirder and uh, stranger the story gets. And it's sort of up to you to look at timestamps and work out when she's lying and not. And that was fantastic. And that's a one -er. It's, you know, it's one actor doing a fantastic job to pull that all together. Telling Lies is kind of, again, it's one of those ones where they went more ambitious. I'm not entirely sure it was better to go more ambitious, but you, you sit down after playing it six hours and you're like, man, that was an achievement. Um, but it's kind of, in that one, you're, you're playing a rogue agent who's got access to a hard drive of files around a specific case, and you have hacked webcam footage from like six to eight different people. And as you type in keywords, you only see one side of the conversation. So in order to find the other side, you have to take specific keywords and unlock that footage. And it's really, really, really interesting. That one was much more of a, there's a single story to find. Um, and you can sort of choose when you want to finish that tale. But because, again, it's it's all like Hollywood actors and that kind of thing talking to you directly, it can feel really, really intimate, you know, in a way that gaming can in other medium and in other games. But this is kind of, it's a bunch of people talking to you for like six hours and confessing the most intimate things as if you've hacked someone's Skype. Um, and it deals with all of the kind of the moral elements of that, of being undercover, of being an agent and things. So I, I found that was interesting. Um, I did find I was scrubbing through quite a lot of the footage because it's one half of a conversation and they really commit. Like, I think there's one clip in there that's kind of like six hours of someone sleeping <laughs> <laughs> because they because they've they filmed themselves uh, for their kid. You know, they're just kind of like, hey, I'm going to go to sleep right now. And then they, they just include the whole footage. Um, so, yeah, it, it feels incredibly voyeuristic and realistic. But, yeah, really fascinating and not something that's standard and very accessible because you're just typing in keywords. So there's no kind of control needed there. Um, so, yeah, that that's cool. Uh, and just to keep hammering on, <laughs> another a, a visual novel I loved. This took me through um, a, a couple of bus rides on DC over Christmas. But Eliza, not to be confused with Erica, um, but this is, it's a visual novel about the development of an AI-driven therapy. Um, so basically, this this young woman developed a tech startup, came up with this tech, and then burnt out. Uh, you know, completely. And so she leaves this industry, but she comes back in at the ground floor to kind of see what's been done with her tech in the couple of years that she's not been there. And it's, you essentially put on this VR headset and an AR tells you what to tell the other person in therapy because they found within the world of this game that having it delivered by people is more, uh, you know, appropriate for the therapy setting than having a voice robot just telling them. But the uh, the therapists themselves aren't allowed to have their own opinion or voice their own thoughts. They literally have to read out what's on the screen. So visual novels, a lot of the time you're pressing like the A button to advance to the next thing and you're not really doing that much 
choice-based gameplay. It's kind of you're just reading what's happening. And the whole game becomes this treatise in free will. You know, the, the game itself is telling you to just press A to move on to the next dialogue option. And by the end of the game, when you start making much bigger choices out of that, it feels so much weighty because you're, weightier rather because you're breaking out of that... Um, the pattern that the game has sort of built for you over the past three hours. Um, and it's got kind of like 12 different endings, gorgeous art style. It's, you know, it's a visual novel, so there's limited animation. It's mostly delivered through text, but it's really well written, really beautifully voiced. Um, yeah, I, I really recommend it as well. It works great on Switch. Um, I think there may be app versions of it as well. So if you're just on an iPad or something like that, a really good game there too. Uh, I'll only have a couple more, I promise. <laughs> um, I... This was briefly free on the Epic Store a couple of weeks ago, but deserves being paid for and dived into. But A Short Hike, uh, which is kind of like this uh, low-poly, rich, scary universe where you play a a bird exploring an island. You're there with your aunt, uh, and she basically says, kind of, piss off and have fun today. (laughs) And you're like, I'm going to climb this mountain uh, so I can try and get a phone signal to call my mom or something like that. And it's just very sweet. You know, it's a couple of hours long, but it's gorgeous. There's bird song, there's fishing. It's kind of Animal Crossing in miniature, but um, it's got a really nice sort of editorial voice in terms of you, you know, you bump into someone on the path and they've lost their hat and you'd be like, oh, it's going to be a three hour side quest to find this person's hat. Literally, the next person you talk to is kind of like, hey, uh, I've got a hat. You should give them this one. You give it to them and they're like, oh, this isn't my hat. Oh, but the truth is I didn't need that hat. <laughs> the powers inside me all along and like the the puzzle just vanished really quickly but it really charmingly and it's yeah it, it was a lot of fun and it's again something that if you need a pick me up if you need a lift that's kind of two hours of your life that will just give you that sunshine um and i think that's on most platforms too um if you want something a bit more poke abouty space explorey uh far future don't worry about the planet right now tacoma is great uh so it's from fulbright who are the minds behind gone home uh, which is a really uh, famous sort of walking simulator game in which you went back home and explored an empty house to sort of find out what had happened to your family there and had a really sweet uh, gay love story at its heart. Uh, so Tacoma is, um, you enter a deserted space station. There's nobody aboard and you are sent essentially by an evil corporation uh, to rescue the AI at its heart uh, and rescue bring it back to the corporation and one of the things the lovely gaming mechanic you have is that you can hack into um the cctv essentially and rewind what happened in that space uh, over a certain period uh and it's fully motion captured but all of the characters are shown as kind of almost um they're three-dimensional colored skeletons almost so they're just amorphous shapes with a voice and it's amazing how much acting they can get out of amorphous shapes with a voice with just body language and shape and some really 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 good voice acting um but yeah that that's one where um it unlocks and unfolds really brilliantly as you sort of make your way through this deserted station fixing together in your head everything that happened to make it deserted um with a really nice payoff as well so again maybe four hours, five hours, um, but really interesting, sort of um, a lot of moon influence, I think, that kind of um, just regular Joes living in space uh, kind of feeling. So if you like those kind of uh, movies, early alien, that kind of thing, nothing's going to jump out at you. You're kind of, you're safe. You're almost like a detective finding out what happened, um, but it's it's really compelling um, and rewards a lot of poking around. And the nice thing is, you know, you, you can follow... Um, 
Say there's six participants in a conversation, you can follow each of them individually as they walk off into different rooms. So you may want to walk off, follow somebody, find something useful to unlock another piece of information, rewind back, follow somebody else. It's a, yeah, it's a beautiful mechanic, really well done. Uh, and then the last one, which I think is quite appropriate for you guys with your, your love of Twin Peaks, Kentucky Route Zero. So this, uh, it started as an indie game. It's been seven years in development. They started releasing it episodically in 2013. Um, and it's this kind of, again, a road trip in, into the unknown. It's got this really spare um, 2D, 3D style, a real mean line in sort of haunting evocation and the use of music quite brilliantly. Um, and it's weird. Like, it's deeply, deeply, deeply strange. Uh, but it starts off in kind of that, this accessible... Uh, you're, kind of nearing retirement freelance delivery guy who's got to deliver some furniture to this address uh, on Dogwood Drive. And nobody can tell you where Dogwood Drive is. Um, but maybe by taking Kentucky Route Zero, which is this kind of hidden underground route uh, through mines and through hidden shafts and through all these liminal spaces in the American psyche, you could find it. Um, so it starts off as kind of quite contained, um, and then as you head down the route, you start meeting all these wild and weird characters. Um, each episode is very different. There's all these interstitial parts as well. There's one where you're just listening to answer phone messages from people. <laughs> and it's just kind of this weird magic realist novel that you can listen to. Um, there's another one, right, uh, not as a spoiler, but the, there's a TV station that's being flooded during the worst storm of the century. And it's just kind of like this hour-long experience where you try and put on a uh, community TV show as the water is rising around your ankles. And it's yeah, it's it's just incredible. Um, so, yeah, like, I was frustrated by parts of it. I think there's a bit where sometimes, especially in games where the uh, speech is text, I've already read it and I'm kind of like, okay, move on, move on, move on. And it's got a very languorous pace quite deliberately. Um, so that can be fr frustrating at times, but I think that's more me than the game. But by the end of it, it was definitely one where it's like, yeah, this is, again, a massive achievement. I'm delighted to have played it. Um, because it's not a Twitch shooter or something like that, there's a very low barrier to entry. You just need to want to watch or participate in a weird story. And one of the beautiful things about it in terms of the dialogue choices is it's not so much about finding, you know, six different endings or, or branching choices. It's almost about being a co-storyteller with the game. So at numerous points, it'll sort of offer you options where you can describe the backstory of a character. And it has no material influence on the rest of the game, but you feel like you're an author in it because they can be wildly divergent. I thought that was really beautiful as well. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a lot of what I've been playing, other than Animal Crossing, obviously, which I think <laughs> is on a lot of people's <laughs> gaming things at the moment. And, you know, we've been playing Animal Crossing as well, or rather I have. And I think one of the reasons why so many people are maybe embracing it this time is that although it, it can be a very solitary game where you can just sit down and get completely lost in creating your own little world on, on this island, but there are so many community aspects to it, whether it's yes, yeah, being yeah. able to you know give out the code for your island for people to come visit you or creating patterns that you can then share with people online. And I think that's something that, people are really looking for at the moment as people are looking for new ways of keeping in touch with friends yeah. and communicating and just sharing experiences because you can't all go down the pub together but you could all hang out on animal crossing together if you want yeah. 
Well, I think it's it's also um, you know there's two weeks of memes at this point. It's, <laughs> it's been a an absolute godsend for social media in terms of um, you know so many jokes, so many. I, I think we got all the murder out of our system in the first couple of days with all the bloodstained Animal Crossing things, and now we're just getting into meta meta levels. I saw the the uh, this is fine room of fire today, and it was just like chef's kiss, wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I think there's that as well, where even if you're not on somebody's island, the fact that you're having this shared experience of oh, who's coming to my island, or what have you got, where have you got up to? Um, every so often, you get a game that taps into the zeitgeist to that extent. Um, and it's very hard to plan for those moments, but I think Nintendo has knocked it out of the park with this one. It's uh, the perfect game at the perfect time, I think. I remember you know, six months ago, people would be joking about, oh, I, I can't wait for the new Animal Crossing game so that I can just uh, sit in my room and never see any of my friends again. Yeah. And now that's literally what the position that we're all in. So, hey, let's all play Animal Crossing and sit in our room and not see our friends again. Well, exactly. I mean, I, I, I know people who've booked time off work to play games and so on and it's like <laughs> i guess we're all there now i mean uh, from a square perspective uh final fantasy 7 remake is launching on the 10th of april and that's another huge japanese role-playing game and people will book time off work to do it and i wonder well i expect a lot of the online conversation will gather around that as well uh it's maybe less accessible just because of it being a japanese role-playing game but i think of them it's probably the most blockbuster forward-facing you know outward looking of the batch um so yeah expect lots of spicy memes around that game in a couple of weeks as well <laughs> failing that lots of final fantasy costumes inside of animal crossing i imagine too <laughs> so a lot of people i think are uh finding time during the current situation to uh try out new games yeah at the same time uh from within the industry could you tell us a little bit about how maybe the games community is actually uh, reacting to or, or changing the way it does things in light of in light of the coronavirus pandemic? Is it is it one of those things where there are sort of structural changes that are happening or effects that you know people just may not know about? Well, I, so I can talk to a certain amount of what's out there publicly. I think one of the main things is nobody really knows what's coming next. You know, it's the the there's no pivot that we're able to make kind of as an industry to be like, great, cool, this is what we're doing, because we don't know, you know, we're all now in the expectation this may be six months, this may be a changed world afterwards, you know, this may be, you know, 18 months of everybody working from home and sporadically being let back out into the world, that kind of thing. So we have to, in our heads, mentally start preparing for every eventuality. I mean, on a day-to-day -day basis, most of the development teams that I know are now working from home. I think all of them. I mean, Microsoft and Sony put out big um, press releases at the end of last week, essentially saying, you know, we're, we're switching to home working. There's going to be a little bit of uh, uh, adjustment as we try and make this all work for everybody. Um, I think one of the benefits gaming companies have, maybe over other industries, is there's a lot of uh, tech, obviously, uh, already in the system. There's a lot of understanding and need for being able to work from home in development teams. Sometimes development teams, I mean, say Ubisoft, they have some games that are put together by dev teams in like six countries. And they almost have like a rolling task force where somebody is always awake and working on the game because they'll have teams in Singapore, Paris, Montreal, London, Newcastle, that kind of thing. Um, so that's already predicated on being able to almost work anywhere. Having said that, a lot of it is a whole bunch of expensive tech and a bunch of expensive servers that live in a specific place. Um, 
So some of that is, all right, we've got to ship everybody's machine home, I imagine. You know, there's a, a lot of courier work going on with a lot of powerful desktops that aren't quite the same as just, or I'll take my laptop home at the end of the day. Um, so that's tricky. But there are certain things in the industry that are, you know, done still by people in offices. And a lot of them are like, you know, you think about the age rating boards. You know, a lot of age rating boards are based on getting five random people into a room and showing them the game and saying, would you is this acceptable as a 15 or an 18 or something like that? So how does that now work? Do you show them over Zoom? You know, uh, you know, how do you uh, make sure that they're not videotaping the screen as you show them footage for a game that's coming out? That kind of thing. Um, even uh, quality assurance, QA, like a lot of that is based on having easy access to like uh, 20 different PCs in a room. So it's it's not just the same as you send them home with one PC. Is it that you send somebody home with a potato PC and that's all that they do for the next six months is they just see whether it can run. No, it doesn't run. No, it doesn't run. Or do you send somebody home with like five PCs and it, it suddenly becomes much more difficult. Um, so it's all the little things that, um, you know, game development, I think can largely take place from home. But even then there's a lot that comes from just standing by somebody's computer and going, hey, tweak that a little bit, or having a meeting where you can speak face-to-face, -face, not over Zoom, and just coming up with an idea that, oh, yeah, that really rescues the third act or something like that. You know, the just the little um, sparks creatively that you can't necessarily plan for or stick into your day. And I think also the, the whole thing is, for all that they're slightly more convenient, video calls are still a big old interruption. Like if you're trying to get a workflow going and it's like, oh, I've got to do this and that. And um, and even things like logging onto a VPN can be a pain in the neck if you're going through like eight different forms of authentication and you're still on a, a you know, even the best of internet connections right now, they're being throttled. And you may be trying to download, like, I don't know, somebody in the Far East is sending you a texture pack of like two terabytes worth of visual data or something like that. And you're like, cool, we're back to old days in the internet. So yeah, I think it's going to be weird as people adjust um, and how long we have to do this for. I don't know. Everybody is in the same boat of, um, yeah, doing the best they can, I think. And we're not at all sure what it's going to do on our project. So I couldn't say <laughs> right now. It's more kind of looking at things like, you know, E3 is cancelled. You know, that's a major, major temple for everybody in the year in terms of promotion. So It'll be interesting to see what people do to replace that. Um, and there's things like, you know, Gamescom is in August in Germany. Will that go ahead? They just announced today that they're going to really increase the amount of digital programming they do around it, which is great anyway. All of these things become much more inclusive when you're doing something for everybody, um, you know, not just the, the people at the show. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be tough. I mean, from with my old hat on, my old comics editor hat on, you know, San Diego is in July and it's like when when will we have comic conventions again or a comics market as uh, the diamond shut down last week so no new comics are being shipped to stores for the foreseeable future and that's a monopoly so no new comics are being shipped to any stores uh, aside from you know book collections and things so yeah I, I think the main thing this is doing to affect creative industries beyond all the health concerns beyond the you know we just weren't prepared for this a lot of our industries are built on very shaky scaffolding in terms of just-in-time delivery or, you know, physical retailers or or that kind of thing. I think video games is better placed than most to weather the storm just because, you know, lots of people made the shift to digital purchasing quite a long while ago. Um, and kind of like with digital comics, 
there's no um, there's no negative to a digital download except that you may have to download it on slow internet right now and you may need internet to get that so if you're out somewhere with satellite internet in the middle of you know the desert somewhere it will be a worse situation but for a lot of people you know the, the game is identical whether it's loaded off a disc or from steam or the first party store and most days you know even animal crossing has had two patches out since it came out so you need that internet connection for that fresh content for that stuff um and a lot of games these days as well are games of service so something like Fortnite, you know the category leader it's a place for people to hang out and shoot each other um but that that's a living game that's not something you can necessarily put in a box because every week something different is added to it um so you need that always online connection and those players probably won't see a demonstrable difference between Fortnite, you know a month ago and Fortnite a month from now um they probably will hopefully will i guess see a slight downtick in terms of new content uh, because people have to shift to new ways of working um, but it still should be a place online for them to hang out um, and they should still be able to support it in the same way so yeah very weird times uh, nobody has any answers uh, check back in six months and we'll tell you what we're doing right now <laughs> <laughs> given that um, there's a lot of talk at the moment about uh, the film industry being disrupted by the fact that you uh, cannot necessarily uh, release films because people can't go to the cinema etc yeah. um, but games may not have that issue because like you said you can access them digitally do you anticipate uh, I suppose firstly that there will be any disruption to major releases of video games in the same way that films are being postponed mm. um, but also do you think that this might actually um, be a positive thing for gaming and you know the growth of it simply because people will be looking for things they can engage in but do from the comfort of their own home, um, you not have to go out to actually physically buy the games potentially, mm. uh, but also play with other people and maintain, you know, a distance from them as well. Yeah, I, so again, it's it's hard to predict. I think you've seen from the day one sales of Doom Eternal and Animal Crossing both came out on the same day and both posted kind of like franchise best day ones for them. Some of that is because they're existing brand names. There's familiarity there. People have been waiting for them. So it was more just everybody had a chance to go, well, I won't put this off. I'll buy this now because I know I've got the time to play it, uh, which is always it's good from an industry perspective. Like a, a lot of the time, um, you know, there's a very steep sales curve in terms of lots of games these days will be discounted within the first kind of three months. Um, so the more people that you can get in on day one, brilliant. Um, but I, th I think you'll see a lot more of that across games that are coming out that are already in train that are, you know, going to be released. Whether we'll see a gap in releases, I don't know. I think um, in terms of talking about the film industry, obviously a lot of video games these days feature mocap, which features actual physical actors in a physical mocap suite somewhere with a bunch of physical people looking at them and taking <laughs> film of them. So um, I can see, you know, that any game that is, you know, that had mocap on its slate in the next six months, that could be disrupted. Um, and those are the kind of games where they're already they're crunching to put in high you know, fidelity, photorealistic, all that kind of stuff. I mean, The Last of Us 2 is probably done and dusted at this point and having its day one patch done, that kind of thing. But that is a game that is essentially a movie. You know, that's highly photoreal. That's every performance is motion captured, every little part of it. Now, imagine you were doing, starting that game right now. That's very difficult to do. You can probably do an awful lot of stuff in terms of building the models, uh, you know, populating the world. But anytime you want to do, do performance you've just got to wait um or 
we hit the point where everybody's having regular blood testing and has their kind of green COVID passports and all that kind of stuff. And you then start letting people back in in a really limited sense. So I can see a lot of, um, I imagine movie studios will start jostling for that really soon. You know, first it's first responders, then it's people in hospitals, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, I can imagine Hollywood being like, hey, uh, we need to do things with people now. Uh, we can't do this remotely. I'm really sorry. And yeah, everybody will have to kind of prove their I've had it already or, you know, I'm not infectious right now status. It's going to be really weird. I, I, I think I don't know if you guys remember, but I keep thinking of the um, Sliders Series 1 episode Fever. <laughs> in which they travel to a, a, an alternate dimension where basically um, they never invented penicillin and there's this Q virus that Quinn of that world is patient zero of but there's like they go into a cafe and there's like a, uh, a beam above the door that's trying to like sterilize people as they come in and they all have to show their like wristbands with like I haven't got it and as soon as you get it you're kind of kicked out into the underclass and it's like this is too real guys it's too real <laughs> um but yeah, it's it's that's going to be really interesting as well, and I think that's the thing nobody knows, right? You know, how are we going to get back to work? You know, there's a lot. You know, I I can do my job pretty much remotely. You know, because a lot of it is writing documents, putting presentations together, and creating assets with agencies and things like that. Um, but as soon as it gets into the you know, take it out on the road, show it to people, talk to people, can't do that anymore. But yeah, spare a thought for. Um, yeah, any actors or people involved in films, movies, TV, or video games that are now, they're furloughed essentially until this gets sorted, which is going to be really tough. I know that probably the biggest impact I've seen that's literally just in the past couple of weeks mm. has been in games like Pokemon Go and Wizards Unite, mm. which um, I know you've played Pokemon Go. I don't know if you if you ever tried Wizards Unite, but... No. Oh, Hobbs. <laughs> Hobbs says hello. <laughs> he's been sniffing my gin and tonic as he walked past. And... Is trying to find a way to switch the mode of gameplay from being very specifically all about people being able to go out, explore the real world, mm-hmm. meet up with other people, all the things that we can't do right now, to try and adapt the game, at least temporarily, to enable people to keep playing and keep interest in the game yeah. while everybody is stuck at home. And they've been finding ways around doing it, like... Um, you're increasing the amount of things that you will get just in the vicinity where you are without having to go out delaying bringing in new Pokemon and, and new raids and things that they were going to be bringing in because nobody can go out and do them right now Yeah. but the extent to which they're going to have to keep doing that nobody really knows mm. you know is it going to be six months before they can introduce new raid bosses a year yeah. um, are they going to have to ditch raid bosses for a while and, and do something else they must be thinking about all these things but in the meantime, you know, just from a, a local community perspective, all the local Pokemon Go groups that I'm in locally have all just shut down all, half of their channels because nobody can organise anything anymore. Um, yeah. And it's it's made an impact on how everybody was just going about what had become a big part of a lot of people's lives. Yeah, I think it's, it's the kind of... Um the double-edged sword of a live game like that. I mean, the benefit is they can tweak it. You know, imagine it had been... I mean, it takes a lot of imagining because the game couldn't have existed without phones and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) But, you know, if it was a a, a SNES game or something like that, it would be out and that would be it. And people would just stop playing that game and move on to something else. Uh, But because they've got this ability to sort of patch in new content to 
tweak gameplay mechanics and all that kind of stuff. They do have a lot of levers they can pull to keep people interested, even if they're stuck in their houses, which is is cool. I mean, the, it's it's devastating for a lot of industries. So you know, I, I don't want to sort of diminish it, but it is tough, absolutely, for a game that is built on getting you active, getting you out, and getting you wandering around, looking at stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I I imagine they're having crisis meetings in terms of like, how do we flip this into like a standard Pokemon game for six months or something like that. But um, yeah, I, I can see it more where, you know, maybe there'll be just a series of pop-up challenges every day where it's, you know, increasing things around your home, but also there's, all right, you've got to tick these 10 things to get X. Um, but it's all stuff that spawns around you and they, they just change it so it localizes around each player, no matter what the drop zones are in various people's territories. I imagine for people in small town America who have like one Pokestop, this is actually a great time to start playing Pokemon Go, right? Because you'll probably actually get access to a lot of the content other people have been taking for granted. But yeah, it's it, it's very, very difficult. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. So Andrew, you work on Life is Strange and you, you mentioned earlier that there's uh, been a recent sort of free trial for a month or so. Um, have you actually noticed that there's been an uptick in uh, new players who've um, who've accessed it and wanted to have a go yeah absolutely i mean i can't go into kind of numbers because it's all protected de- details rolls eyes but um yeah it, it's one of those things free trials are really good for kind of any game um you always see there's a barrier of entry where there's any money that needs to be exchanged i mean um life is strange games are episodic so you can try the first episode at a really low cost anyway um it's kind of 649 when it's not on sale and it's often on sale um, but just the act of being able to try something for free, just give it a go. Yes, you got a lot of curious people kind of coming in and playing that first 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and then deciding to go on and play the rest. Um, Life is Strange as a game is tricky um, to sort of encapsulate in those uh, really, you know, here's a 30 second clip of gameplay footage. If it's a shooter or something, say it's Doom or even Animal Crossing, you can often show a gameplay loop in a minute and people will be like, I get this. You know, I, I do this in this game. I shoot demons in this game or like I make an island in this game. Because Life is Strange, it's kind of, it's like a TV show. It's very hard to do, you do a trailer and people are like, great, I get the story. But it's hard to kind of do the, the one minute version of here's what a gameplay loop looks like. It's going around and talking to people and having really, you know, interesting, intimate conversations. It's solving light puzzling. It's making really hard choices. And that's kind of the core three things that you do in the game that, um, you know, affect the way the story is told on the the, the long time axis. Um, so just letting people get in there, play it for 45 minutes or something like that and actually experience what it's like to control the characters, choose the dialogue options, sort of start shaping the story for themselves. It's often enough to be like great, yeah, I, I can see myself doing this. It's a Netflix series I control. Brilliant. You know, I think out there there's a lot of series, you know, the I'm not okay with this or even um, Stranger Things that are kind of they're in the aesthetic bubble of Life is Strange and if you like those shows, if you like that kind of real world with the twist to the strange give the games a go because they they will be right up your alley and again they are not intensive in terms of mechanics. Um, it's very easy to pick up and play and sort of um, you're you're talking to people, you're making dialogue decisions, you're you know wandering around spaces poking around into hidden things and uncovering secrets. Um, a lot of people you know they really enjoy that uh, and I loved, love loved the games even before joining Square Enix, which is kind of why I'm here. Um, you know, we, we launched the comic at Titan because I've been a, such a cheerleader for the first game. Um, and I've got to say, you know, being at Square for a year has not diminished my love for them one jot, which is great. Uh, so yeah, I will always evangelize that if you've got kind of eight to ten hours to play through these things, the episodes themselves are, are you know, they're like 
um, a movie length of an evening and you can spread them out over a week or binge them if you want. Uh, so they're, they're really nice. Uh, they fit into people's lives in a way a lot of games don't as well. Now's the perfect time. So we have one last question. What would go into your homebrew to get you through the lockdown? So in terms of percentages, hmm. Well, it's 100% Anne, obviously. So that's that's my <laughs> wife off to one side, keeping me sane during this uh, lockdown period. Um, so other than that, about 30% video games, 30% cats, 10% work, and then like 30% Kamen Rider or something like that, I think. <laughs> we need a bunch of Japanese superheroes to get us through this period. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's about my 200% homebrew. It's very potent. <laughs> So thanks a lot, Andrew, for joining us uh, on our first proper episode of Homebrew. It's really great to get lots of recommendations, um, especially lots of indie uh, recommendations as well, and uh, to get some insight into what's happening in the games industry as uh, the world copes with the coronavirus pandemic. So thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. So we'd like to thank Andrew once again for joining us uh, for our first proper episode of Homebrew. We'll be back very soon with our next episode. And uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you, your thoughts on the episode, your thoughts on what you're doing during any periods of isolation. And this stream is just starting out, but we'd uh, love to hear from you as well if you'd like to actually be a guest on the podcast. Maybe you'd like to tell us about your experiences, your hobbies, your passions, your interests, things that you might like to tell us about that you're up to and that you think other people might be interested too please do get in touch yes and you can get in touch with us in the usual places on twitter at tfcaa there's a facebook page or via our website timeforcakesnail.com yeah we'd love to hear about what you're up to and how the current situation is affecting you as well but until next time be seeing you, seeing you.